0: This week on Excelsior Journeys, my guest is author, speaker, and trauma survivor, Amanda Blackwood. Amanda has taken all of her experiences dealing with family trauma, assault, and human trafficking, and has decided to turn that experience around on itself and own its truth and tell that truth in the form of more than a dozen books that are out there right now, both fiction and nonfiction, and even a cookbook. This is a very intense conversation that Amanda and I have, and so listener discretion may be advised. And also to add on what we will be discussing, if you have dealt with any sort of trauma and you feel like you need to reach out to someone, then please call 988 to get the resources that you definitely need. And please, please, Do not ever be afraid to ask for help. JLD, do the honors.
1: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite.
0: Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for tuning in for over 200 episodes. There is no stopping this show. I am so excited for what's to come. And I'm really excited for what's to come of the Once Upon a Podcast Network, which this show is proudly a part of. As of right now, we have seven shows, but we have other ones that are in the pipeline. And they are all geared toward inspiring, motivating, celebrating, educating, and even rejuvenating creatives of all kinds. And so if you would like to give those shows a listen, just go to onceuponapodcastnetwork.com, and you'll see the links for all seven shows, including this one. Now, one of the amazing things about creativity is that, When it's harnessed the right way, it can really help people with dealing with very traumatic elements of their lives. They can either read something and know that they're not alone in what they have experienced, or they can do as this week's guest has done and harness that trauma and those moments And turn them into something truly wonderful, to turn it around. And what we have seen so far from my guest this week, Amanda Blackwood, she is a 12-time author. She is a public speaker, but she is also a trauma recovery mentor with experience in human trafficking. That is definitely someone you want to have as a creative out there, because So many people really need to know that they're not alone in their experiences. And that is what Amanda has shown several times over. And I'm so proud to have her as my guest this week. So it is my honor to present Amanda Blackwood. Amanda, how are you today?
2: I am fantastic. Thank you so much, George. And thank you for having me.
0: And thank you so much for reaching out. Another big shout out to Podmatch.com. They're really something special when it comes to... Matching up potential guests with the right kind of shows. I have sung their praises many times, never gotten a single paycheck from them. And I am just proud to be a part of that site. So if you are a podcaster that's out there, you are looking for guests. You definitely want to get into podmatch.com. And I am so thrilled that Amanda is here to share her story. Now, now, Amanda, you have 12 books that are out there. Is that correct?
2: That was correct up until just yesterday. I this had 13th book released. It was my cookbook called Surviving in the Kitchen, Recipes wow. for Life, Love, and a
0: Full Stomach. That is genius, a cookbook <laughs> based on that. That is fantastic. That is, I love it. I love it. So, all right. So I will amend what I had said before. A 13-time author. <laughs> that is incredibly impressive. And from our previous discussions, you say about nine of them. Are nonfiction or ten of them now?
2: That was number nine. That was nonfiction. That was number um, nine. Okay, right. So, and I do have three books in a science fiction series, and I have one that's a historical fiction. But everything else has been based on my own life and my own experiences, including some recent events.
0: Some recent events. Oh, before we d- before we dive into your your history and writing and everything that that is gone on in your life since. Do you care to indulge a little bit in the recent events?
2: Sure. There's a book that I put out a couple of years ago called Lost April. This was a book that I started writing as kind of a journal entry series during the pandemic.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: When I first started writing it, that's about the same time that I discovered that my best friend at the time had just received his third diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. Oh. <sighs> So the story goes through talking about his battle with this cancer for the third time and how multiple times he kept on thinking, I can't do it. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And he fought back and he won his battle. Um, Unfortunately, he passed away the exact same day the book was released.
0: Oh, Oh, man, I'm so sorry.
2: That one was rough. Yeah,
0: yeah, I can believe it. And of course, he passed
2: away on April Fool's Day. So everybody thought that Mm. everybody was kidding, which he absolutely would have loved.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's just that sometimes that just kind of works. Those those moments, if they can help you smile, if they can get you through that experience, then that that makes all the difference. I remember when I was part of the procession. In a fire truck for my cousin when he passed in two thousand and five, and he he was not only a volunteer firefighter, but he was also an EMT. So over in Jersey, there was this this motorcade, really, of fire trucks and ambulances and everything all making their way up to the church. and i I will will never forget this. one of the firemen, on the truck, he looked over at me and just says, "Like Matt would definitely really love this." And I looked at him. I just said, "What are you kidding?" He'd be looking at this and go, "That's it." So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so it's those kind of moments that uh, you just kind of remember that really get you through the day. And and like you said, passing on April Fool's Day. That that's that's that sounds really fitting yeah. for your friends. So, Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that I like to talk about on the show is what I call the lightning bolt moment. And that's that moment in time when you either experience something or read something, meet someone. It just makes you want to say that is the direction I need to go in. That is the kind of life I want to live. That's the kind of person I want to be now before everything happened to you that will, that will be getting too soon. You've always had a passion for writing, correct?
2: Right. It started out very young. I had an encouraging sixth grade teacher who said he would someday see my name on the cover of a book.
0: Wow. That's that's great. A sixth grade teacher would saying that. That's That's terrific. So what was it about writing that really made you want to keep doing it?
2: When I was really young, I could be creative and form my own worlds this way. I grew up in kind of a harsh household, kind of abusive. Mm. A lot of times while I was undergoing punishments, what I would do to kind of disassociate was I would write stories in my head. And then I would do my best to repeat them over and over again so that I could write them down later on. I would sometimes turn these into class so that I could get extra credit. But a lot of times they were really deeply personal stories. And the only thing I did with them was burn them. And, of course, I got in trouble for having the matches in my bedroom, too.
0: <laughs> you, you literally burned them. You didn't, just, you didn't just delete them or just tear them up or anything like that. You burned them.
2: Literally burned them. I wanted those memories to become ashes. I didn't mm. want any part of what had just happened to exist anymore.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's that's powerful right there. To want to get rid of a memory so much that you would do that. That is that is really something. And unfortunately, those memories that you those memories will be added to like in the future, correct?
2: Right, absolutely.
0: So tell us a little bit about what kind of led to the current path that you're on right now.
2: So kind of the the basic rundown is I was trafficked three different times in my life. Mm. And a lot of people, the first question out of their mouth when they hear this is number one, how old were you?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And that's because we have a predisposition to automatically think that it only happens to children here in the United States. Right. And the other question is, Three times, didn't you learn anything the first time? Which, if you equate this to a rape scenario, how could you ask a woman, how were you raped three times? Didn't you learn anything the first time?
0: Right. Yeah, that's...
2: It's a very damaging
0: question. That's not... Yeah. Read the room, people. (laughs) If someone is is opening yourself up like that, you got to read the room. Don't go go ahead and throw that kind of question at that. What are you, (laughs) nuts?
2: (laughs) Right. So with most victims of human trafficking, Mm -hmm. most of us experience some kind of abuse when we're children at very Mm -hmm. early ages. So I was molested the first time when I was four. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember anything between that and when I was 12. But I was molested again at 12, again at 13 by an uncle, again at 15, again at 16. I was raped at 17. And then I was trafficked for the first time when I was 18 years old. I was trafficked the second time when I was 19 years old, and I was trafficked the last time at 31.
0: 31.
2: Wow. So there was this repeating pattern in my life, and I had to figure out what that was. And the fact that I learned very early on that the people who love you, your family, Mm -hmm. are also the people who abuse you and hurt you. It leaves your brain attuned to thinking that the people who love you are always going to hurt you. And if they don't hurt you, it means that they don't love you. So I kept on seeking out these horribly abusive situations in my life. At 18, the first time I was trafficked, I was basically given as a party favor to my boyfriend's friend for a birthday weekend in Las Vegas. What? The second time I was trafficked, I was this was the first one was in Arizona. The second one happened in Florida. Mm-hmm. I was going down there to go stay with my grandmother after I was already married to somebody.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I was leaving my husband because he was abusive. And when I got to the Daytona Beach bus station, I called my grandmother to let her know that I was there and ready to be picked up. It was 10:30 at night, and her husband answered the phone instead. My dad's stepfather and -hmm. said, we're not coming to get you. You're on your own. What? I I didn't know for years that the reason that this happened was because my parents had called them and said, she's left her husband and she's on the run. And if you take her in, we'll never speak to you again. She made her bed needs to go back and lie in it.
0: Wow. So they just basically just set you up.
2: Right. I was left homeless on the streets in a strange state in a strange city. Hmm.
0: And there was nowhere else to go because what are you going to do? Go back to the hell that you were already trying to get away from.
2: Right, exactly. And people didn't understand that. So rather than calling my then husband and crying and crawling back to him, which was in Arkansas, I, I moved 43 times in my life. Sometimes that can be hard to keep up with. But here I was at the Daytona Beach bus station sitting down on a curb crying my eyes out and hugging my knees. And a young couple came over and talked to me and told me that they were going to give me a place to stay until I could get on my feet. And what they really meant was that they were going to give me a place to stay until they could sell me to the highest bidder, because that's what happened.
1: Wow. Oh, yeah. oh.
2: But the third one was the worst. After everything that I'd been through, I started to on my own, I'm a mm-hmm. high school dropout with no college education, really. Right. I started to want to know how the human brain works. And I started to research different forms of psychology and reading a lot of really heavy books.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I was also really into Greek mythology, but that's a sideline story. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I learned so much over the years that I thought that I was doing a great job of breaking down patterns and reestablishing who I was. Mm hmm. And during that time, I struck up a long distance friendship with a a police officer who lived in Scotland, and we became Mm -hmm. really close. Over the next seven years, I went over there to go and visit him. He came over to visit me, Mm -hmm. and we eventually decided that we were in love. And he asked me to get a fiancé visa and moved to Scotland to be with him.
0: To Scotland. Wow.
2: Oh, my gosh. The land of kings and queens and castles and lore and history and major history buff. Right. Now, I when I was there, when I was there visiting, I used to walk down to the local park right mm-hmm. behind his home, and yeah. I would sit on the walls of Roman baths built in 149 A.D. to eat my lunch. Wow.
0: Talk about an I, experience you never forget.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I fell in love with more than just the person. I fell in love with this place.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And was seeing these gorgeous castles and old churches and ancient graveyards and all of this history. It was mm-hmm. incredible. So I left my career. Mm-hmm. I sold my car. I got rid of my apartment and I moved over there as soon as my visa came in. Wow. It took him seven days to get me there and it took him seven days to start trafficking me. Uh. He knew my past, he knew my history, he knew my weaknesses, and he knew how to manipulate me better than anybody else on the planet.
0: Wow. He used it all to his advantage. Seven days. God, it's it's amazing. It's amazing what people can do if they're that nefarious about it. Right. In such a... Such a quick amount of time.
2: Right. And remember, and, he was a police <clears throat> officer.
0: And, and not only that, but I mean, you were talking about how you're a fan of Greek mythology. There's Sisyphus pushing that boulder up the hill. And yeah. all of a sudden, down it goes again. And so, I, I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine the strength that it took to go through that and then come out the other side. And what what was it the when you were able to break free of that? What was it? What was that? What was that first step? What did that feel like?
2: Well, the first step. There were <clears throat> three major events that happened in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And the first one, I had conned him into giving me back my passport and my debit card because he had taken those things away from me, mm-hmm. and I used what limited funds I had to purchase the earliest plane ticket that I could afford to get out of there. Mm -hmm. I still would have had to wait for five days to get on this flight. During those five days, I was trafficked and abused so much that I ended up with massive kidney infection. And I think I ended up in the hospital, but I don't clearly remember. I do remember talking to doctors and being on antibiotics. Mm -hmm. But during that time, I was so delirious that I missed my flight. (sighs) It was a non-refundable ticket. So, of course, I didn't get my money back for that one. It was just an empty flight on the way back to the States. Mm -hmm. The second one was the day that I walked down to the train station intent on ending my life. Oh, wow. And a man and a little boy walked out onto the platform and he asked me for a light for a cigarette. And I tried to tell him he could keep my matches because I wouldn't be needing them again. And I wanted him to ask me why. And of course Mm -hmm. he didn't because he's a total stranger. I'm not going to, in a single interaction, a single sentence, make a total stranger care about my life and my journey and the help that I need. And I didn't have the strength within me to ask for the help yet. Mm. But his little boy looked at me and rather than looking at me, he looked through me and the eyes of that child saw things that no human eyes really have ever seen in me and he saw that pain and that fear and he made me not want to kill myself by way of train because that would have been removing his innocence as well yeah but to go back and find another way to find a better way Mm -hmm. and the third event was when i was there at the house and i I used all of my studies of psychology that I'd done over the years and Mm -hmm. I turned it around and reversed it on him. Nice. I made him believe that I had what we used to call Stockholm syndrome. It's now been re renamed as trauma bonding. Mm -hmm. I made him believe that I was so madly in love with him that I would absolutely do anything for him, but that I was about to overstay my visa. And since we didn't get married, I couldn't stay in the country. And if anybody found out he could lose his job and we wouldn't want that. Of course.
0: Of course, yeah.
2: So within two hours, he bought me a round-trip flight to go back to the States for the next six months and then another flight to return in time for my birthday. Wow. Of course, I never went back.
1: <laughs> of course, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, it's great that I was successful at the third attempt, third time's the charm. Yeah. I'm really, I'm kind of, it, it sucks that I missed the first attempt. But man, I'm so but grateful need, that I that
0: screwed that up moment, on the second one. But that moment that that you had with that kid, I mean, that is, that's right out of, that's right out of a legend right there. Right. It's not just a movie like that is like, that is something that is a legend right there.
2: Yeah.
0: And that is, that is someone who is who knows what, where that kid is right now. I mean, this was how many years ago?
2: Gosh, that was 2011. So that was 12 years.
0: 2011. So that kid, you would say was about six, seven or so. you think he was about four, four? Okay. He was a
2: little bitty guy.
0: So he's getting ready to graduate from high school.
2: And he probably has no idea he saved someone's life.
0: Yeah. Well, like I hope that, that he finds a way to listen to this show. So he knows that he did. Yeah. So you were able to get back. You're free. You've been able to break away from from that hell. Right. And where are you right now? So, like, did he did he give you any sort of money or anything to start things? Obviously, he was expecting you to come back, but was he thinking that, like, if I give you some money and everything, you can do what you need to do over there and then come back to me? Or did he just basically just get you the round trip ticket and just like, here, figure out the rest on your own?
2: He did give me a little bit. And that was, like you said, because he fully expected that I was going to be returning. Mm-hmm. And he thought that that I think it was about a thousand dollars would be mm-hmm. enough to help me to land on my feet and find a place to stay for the next six months until I could find my way back to him. Mm-hmm. But that was just the beginning of the journey. Yeah, I had gone through all of this massive amount of abuse, but when people go through that kind of stuff, they don't care if they live or die.
1: Hmm.
2: And I learned that the hard way. That first yeah. year back was the hardest year for me. Hmm. I had to continually create bucket lists to be able to give myself something to look forward to. Wow. And it was during that first year back that I started writing my science fiction series because the main character is based on who I was, if the rumors that people were starting to tell about me had been true.
0: Oh, wow. That's that's a really interesting way to look at it. It's just not so much of like what your story is, is what everyone's version of your story is.
2: Right. And the science fiction is a post-apocalyptic. And I tell people all the time, who better to predict the end of the world than somebody who's already lived it, Right.
0: Right. And who was about to kind of experience the end of their world.
2: Right. Exactly. And that's what I went through. So the characters that show up in this book that I wrote, the first book in this series, are people that I knew in real life. Hmm. They're based on who these people were and how they were interacting with my life. One of them, the character in the book is named Susan. She's based on somebody that at the time of my return from Scotland, she was absolutely my best friend. There was something about her that I felt like, There's not 100 percent trust, Mm -hmm. but she was still my best friend and I could tell her anything except when I tried to tell her what happened in Scotland. She couldn't reconcile it in her brain that things like this could happen without an adult's consent. So she started telling people that I had been a high priced call girl. Wow. So that's how the science fiction book starts out. And mm-hmm. I hated the character so much that in the second chapter, I tried to kill her off and she just didn't die. And guess who that <laughs> was, yeah, I just couldn't get away from that. Yeah, I am who I am. And no matter how many times I try to kill myself off, I just keep bouncing back. Mm-hmm. So it turned into a three book series.
0: <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. <laughs> so I, my, my assumption is that she goes through one hell of an arc.
2: Oh, absolutely. She starts out the entire first book. The chapters are all named after her lessons in life, her rules in life. Mm -hmm. Never trust anyone. That's a big one for her. And at the very end of the first book, she's having to kind of modify that a little bit. It's her and a group of unlikely survivors that are trying to escape Los Angeles during the apocalypse. At the time, I lived in LA and I saw how quickly an apocalypse could happen out Mm -hmm. there and I used real life scenarios and talked about all of this stuff and without meaning to, I kind of predicted the pandemic. I originally Hmm. wrote this book in 2015 and I predicted COVID, but didn't know what it was called and did this five years before it actually hit.
0: Oh man. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That's great to have like that sort of a that sort of an in tune feeling with with science fiction like that's and that's always a wonderful moment when something kind of comes true even though like even though it could be a tragic moment but to sit to kind of look it back at that and just say wow I I saw that coming I didn't know I did but I but I kind of did what? with with because science fiction the great science fiction it's always it's always buried in truth. There's always truth underneath that surface. And it may look extravagant. It may look fantastic. It may feel fantastic when it comes to the characters and the technology and the larger-than-life scenarios that are there. But at the same time, there is that truth underneath that speaks to who we are as as a species that led us to that Period, right. So the fact that you already were able to predict a pandemic such as that—that's pretty intense. <laughs> that's <laughs> it. Was. <laughs> it was. There was, yeah. I, I experienced something similar when I heard about the one of the one of the stipulations in the in the recent debt ceiling talks that anything any sort of executive action that's taken needs to have something something to basically cancel it out in a sense like something that's going to pay for that in the (laughs) so so that way it won't be challenged and one of the things that i have in one of my in my science fiction sports serial from parts unknown is there is a it focuses around the last remaining sport in America. And it's a sport that is getting a whole lot of attention by everyone. It's subsidized by the U S government. So it's really in everyone's faces and everyone is a huge fan of it. Cause it's really the only sport that's left. And what they don't realize is that it's being used as a tool of distraction by the government so they can go about and do whatever they need to do. And they put in at the beginning of the book that they, that they have just passed a law that a a part of the rule book for the, for the promotion that blunt objects are now being allowed in the ring. And as a result of that, the main character who wants to get into this sport and be a part of the roster, as soon as he walks in, he gets a, a message on his phone and he checks it and it's, and it says all unemployment insurance benefits are canceled. And it's because, okay, you're going to you want to have this sport where these people that you follow and you admire are putting their lives on the line and are literally getting beaten, getting getting the hell beaten out of them with lead pipes or whatever. Well, they're going to they're going to need some extra medical insurance to to care for their wounds. So where are they going to get that? They're going to get it from over here. So when I saw that, that that was a stipulation, I was like, huh. What do you the blunt object amendment? Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So when it's it's one of those things where they don't happen very often, but when you can when you can figure out when you can dial into those moments and you realize, hey, I called that. It doesn't matter how long ago it was, but once <laughs> that happens, it's like, oh, I'll take a victory lap for that. So
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, what do you I, I knew that was gonna happen?
0: Exactly. Exactly. And it helps you Almost kind of prepare yourself for and it also helps you kinda of get the word out a little bit more about the books themselves. So oh. so when so when you finish that trilogy, what'd you do with it? What was your what was your next next step once you had that first book done?
2: The first book I I had written it in twenty fifteen, but mm-hmm. I didn't actually release it until November of twenty twenty. Oh wow. So I sat on it for a long time because Although I had been writing fiction most of my life, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I also recognized within myself there was an imposter syndrome. I could write Mm -hmm. about my own life and nobody could tell me that I was wrong because it was the life that I'd lived. But if I wrote fiction, people would have the ability to come and attack me for it and tell me that I was wrong because it wasn't something that was real. So Mm -hmm. to me, it couldn't ever exist as being real. So when I released that book in 2020, it took an incredible amount of courage from me. It came out November 1st of 2020. And then immediately afterward, I had decided, it was December 1st of 2020, Mm -hmm. I decided that I was going to write my autobiography. So I went from science fiction to back to this is my story. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: I wrote my entire autobiography in a matter of 30 days. Wow. And that was... This one. This is a 350 page large book. (laughs) (laughs) And I wrote it all while working two full-time jobs.
0: Two full-time jobs.
2: Two full-time jobs. I mean, it was the height of the pandemic. My roommate had lost his job. I was the only breadwinner in the house. I was the only income. And at the time my roommate was somebody that I would have defended to the death. Mm -hmm. things fell apart right after I met my husband and my roommate decided that he didn't want to be my roommate anymore and tried to kick me out. Really? Now this was the long story, but this was after the man borrowed my car and totaled it. Wow. (laughs) After I never got so much as a scratch on it. So
0: it just seems like no matter what, there are all there, these different people that are just going to try to find a way to take advantage of you. Uh, And that's, And the second
2: they do it now is mm -hmm. the second I sever ties with them and walk away from it. I finally figured out how to build those healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. And with that former roommate, we were friends for quite a long time. We got along remarkably well. I was, I was quite the cook. I mean, I just released a cookbook, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we've had a lot of fun together just hanging out and watching TV and playing with my cats. And when things started falling apart, he thought that I was just going to bowl over and just whimper like a kicked dog and take it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't. And Mm. it surprised him and it surprised me.
0: Yeah. I I was just about to say like that had to have been that had to feel good knowing that you were not going to allow those. I don't want to say old habits, but those experiences to to go after you. Not beat right. you down, but just try to try to get back into your head. The and fact that you the, the fact that you did not allow that to happen, that's a what a victory right there.
2: There was a lot of growth in a very short amount of time for me. Yeah. Yeah. Some of that came well, a lot of that came from writing my autobiography autobiog- mm-hmm. But it also came from my lightning bolt moment and we'll get there when you're ready to get there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, then, <laughs> <laughs> so with everything, with everything that you have dealt with, and now all of a sudden you've, you've taken your power back, you've taken your truth back, and that in itself is something to truly celebrate. So, so what was the next lightning bolt? Because it sounds like a lot of what you were dealing with that led to these moments now it's almost like a lightning storm in a right. sense. It mm-hmm. was just, just getting just barraged by, by so much. And mm-hmm. thankfully, you were able to not only take shelter, but then all of a sudden turn around on them, get those lightning bolts to go up and away from you. It was, it
2: was a really bizarre transition in my life. Mm-hmm. So it was 2018, a freezing cold day in February. Mm-hmm. I went to an anti-trafficking conference because I was all about helping to save the kids from the windowless fans and the creepy old strangers. Right.
0: Yep. The free candy vans. Yep.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. What I learned there blew my mind. It yeah. wasn't until that day that I realized that what I'd been through could even be classified as human trafficking. But since then I have dug in and really kind of learned about the definition It's according to the Department of Homeland Security, the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain labor or sex acts from another. So, if Mm -hmm. you notice, there's no mention of transporting a person from one place to another, Mm -hmm. and there's no mention of money. Hmm. So, prostitution does not equal human trafficking, and human trafficking does not equal prostitution. It's the same with human smuggling across our borders. Really? So, while there is a massive overlap of all of these things, Mm-hmm. Something we have to recognize is that there are three separate issues that all need to be addressed
1: hmm. absolutely so while
2: i was while I was sitting there at this conference, I was learning all of this stuff, and my brain started twisting yeah all of these neurosynapses that I had built over these years saying this was domestic violence and this was abuse. they all started to kind of unravel, and it was like this moment where I could feel it. It really felt like science fiction, yeah. And when they had the panel of five speakers up on the stage and they were opening up the floor to questions, I raised my hand, really timid, was terrified of public speaking.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely terrified of it. And they brought the microphone over to me. And when they handed it to me, I held it up. And my, my plan was to ask, how long does it take for somebody who's been through this to have a normal life? Mm. That's because I was still looking for one. Mm. But what came out of my mouth instead was, I'm a survivor, and I need help.
0: Wow. See, finally, the words finally came out.
2: Right. And I did finally ask my question, too. How long does yeah. it take for somebody to have a normal life? And the yeah. answer, people always want to know what the answer is. It's different for every person. Mm-hmm. And not just for survivors of human trafficking, but survivors of all kinds of trauma that 's yeah. because we all go through different experiences we 've all had different things in our lives that lead up to those moments, and all of those things define not only how we 're going to react but how we 're going to continue to react afterward
1: mm-hmm.
2: Our trauma reactions are different across the board
0: yeah always it 's like the it 's like the simple Three word phrase that I actually heard myself at, at 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 my Weight Watchers meeting. Simply, results will vary.
1: Right,
2: always.
0: Yeah, it's a In blanket. Statement. Aspect, it's a blanket statement. It may seem like like you're just kind of passing it off,
2: like as, you're reading it off yeah. of a medication ad on TV.
0: Right, but that doesn't mean it's not true. There right. everyone is. Everyone deals with, like you said, everyone deals with with these sort of events in our lives in very different ways.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. That was probably the biggest lightning bolt moment for me.
0: Just saying, saying those three words. Right. I need need help. help.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I started to connect with a lot of the people that were there, the anti-trafficking organizations and stuff. Mm -hmm. One of them became pivotal later on. But the one person who was running the entire event, he and I connected. And by that very next year, I was standing on that same stage and speaking.
0: Wow. Now, did that person just kind of coach you into being a speaker or was it just did they play a part in it at all? Was it just like encouragement or anything or was it did they kind of steer you in the direction or was it just being able to be there and say, I need help? Was that kind of like your first? step toward becoming the speaker that you are.
2: That was a big part of it. John DeYoung is the guy's name that was Mm -hmm. putting on the event. And he did encourage me in the way that he gave me the space available.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: He, he told me, he said, I know that you've been talking about wanting to do this. If you want to do this, I have space for you on the stage. Ah. People need to hear your story if you're willing to tell it, but only if.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And that's all it took. I mean, mm-hmm. I was still terrified. I remember standing backstage and my heart's going like 90 to nothing. I'm just shaking all over. The second I walked out on stage, all of that went away. Oh, yeah. I turned the anxiety into excitement.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I learned how to start reframing things. But yeah. then there was another massive lightning bolt moment the very next year. Really? I found out that the man in Scotland had made me famous on a pornography website by putting up photos and videos of all the molestations and rapes. He also included my social media information so people could find me. Oh, my. More than that, I was recognized in a grocery store one day. Not because I had done some incredible things in my past, because I was on Alias and Will and Grace and I modeled for Harley Davidson. I did lots of really cool things when I was in my 20s. Lots -hmm. of amazing moments in my life. Yeah. I even dated Jim Carrey for a little bit. Wow. (laughs) I I had an insane life. Lots of bad stuff happened, but lots of really incredibly good stuff, really adventurous, amazing stuff that people can't really believe Mm -hmm. has happened to me. Yeah. And when that moment happened and he recognized me from a pornography website, it felt like my entire life was crumbling in around me. I was mortified. Yeah. I immediately reached out to the other one of the other panelists that had been on the the floor that day and I told them what had happened. They got me in touch with an organization called A Light that pairs human trafficking survivors with legal services Oh, nice. and I was paired up with a law firm that then went after these different pornography websites because it was everywhere
1: mm-hmm. went
2: after these pornography websites and explained to them hey this is non-consensual this needs to be taken down and they were taking them down left and right but yeah. every time one went down another went up hmm. so I was also paired with a therapist because I had no idea how I was going to cope with this I traumatized my therapist so bad. I think she's left the industry forever. And I got another therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. During all of that, the biggest lightning bolt moment was saying, he is never going to stop. Mm -hmm. So if people are going to keep finding me, they need to know why. And that's Mm -hmm. when my voice got loud.
0: Nice. 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 Just they need to know. And and basically, it's just like it's <clears throat> taking like all those things that they are, that the person viewing them is trying to inject their own fantasies into them. But then all of a sudden, it's countered by everything that you're bringing. Right. And saying right. exactly what you said. Everything is non-consensual. You wanted nothing to do with that. And... That in itself, for a regular, for someone who does not have issues that have, that they're already bringing to the table, that right. w- in itself would just be like, uh, and that would hopefully steer them away from that.
2: You would hope, but yes, what A lot of people don't hope, realize, <laughs> but I'm also
0: I, that's that's me being an optimist, but I'm right. also a realist, <laughs> and, and I've I've seen like I have seen from a distance and you have experienced up close that that humanity is not is not the utopia that Gene Roddenberry believes that it will be. We'll I keep hoping closely.
2: and wishing yeah. I am a huge, huge Star Trek fan. My mm-hmm. husband and I had the original series music played as our outro music as we left our wedding.
0: I <laughs> We used we used the throne room music from the end of the original Star Wars. So there you go.
2: Oh wow, that's brilliant! Mm-hmm. And we have a cat named after a Klingon.
0: Fantastic, <laughs> Chang or
2: it's Takuvma. Takuvma, nice. And it perfectly fits him because he is such a monster. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's fabulous. That is fabulous. <laughs> yep, and I still remember playing. I because I put myself in charge of of putting together all of the pre ceremony music because the one thing that always really drive drove me nuts is everyone just kind of filing into the church or wherever it would wind up being, and everything is just so quiet. And right. So Everyone's just kind of whispering and everything. No, I want to entertain people as they come in, so right. I put together like thirty minutes of. Snippets of different love themes from different films, and it was it was fabulous. It was a wonderful little medley, and it actually bookended with the original love theme from the first Superman from seventy eight, and and it ended with a piece from Superman Returns called "How Could You Leave Us," and it was by John Ottman, and it dovetailed into that love theme right at the very end because it's when Superman and Lois went for their. Flight around Metropolis during that film, and yeah. so it ended with that with that reprise of that, and then it went into the music that we want picking. But when I played the piece for the for the ending and I, and I said this is what i want to I want to play for after we 're announced to be man and wife, and we get to leave." And I started playing the throne room. She just looked at me and just like, "This is from Star Wars, isn't it?" And I was like, "Yeah, it is." He <laughs> was like, "Just listen, just listen." And I gave her like about thirty more seconds, and then she just goes, "All right, it's perfect." And so- <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Yep. And that was all I wanted. I wanted, like, when it comes to like getting control over whatever elements or anything like that, that little period that that the 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 all the intro the le- the leading up to it and everything uh, and the introduction of the groom, the family the grooms the the bridal party and the bride and everything like I want to control all that music and then for at the end but anything like Go for it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, my husband and I both picked like the same number of songs for the, the music for people to come in. Cause you're right. It, it's more like they're coming to the church for a funeral. If you're mm-hmm. not playing any music, right. it makes so much more se- sense to have love, fun music and I had a bunch of old 1940s classics and he had a bunch of more modern music but they all flowed really well together and nice. it kind of kept things mixed up a bit it was just a so just
0: kind of kinda like went yours his yours his yours his kind of thing
2: right right and then oh, at the end of the ceremony when we were getting ready to leave he had originally asked me he said well what what, what music do you want for that and I said oh well, I don't mind we can just play the same playlist again and he went all right I don't know what I'm gonna do And he surprised (laughs) me with the Star Trek music. And we make jokes about it all the time because we're, we're both huge Trekkies always Mm -hmm. have been. We both grew up watching different series. I grew up watching next generation. He grew up watching deep space nine. And it was choices, both of them. Right. I mean, you can't go wrong with either one really. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I love the show Mm -hmm. on our very first date. I, he was dropping me off, and I won't get into details, but he was dropping me off at the airport.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And we sat in the car and we steamed up the windows of his car talking about klingons and star trek so it was like this constant theme in our lives when we got to koutha we had to name him after the klingon when That's we wonderful. got married we had to have that apparently mm-hmm. without my knowing is part of our music and it was it so he so- just
0: sprung it on you like you didn't know about it until the actual moment
2: there are photos of me literally doubled over grabbing my stomach laughing hysterically because I'm realizing as I'm stepping down what mm. music it is that I'm hearing.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That is that is truly wonderful. Now that is I can't think of a better like happy ending right <laughs> there. But the great thing is is that it's not it's not an ending. It is the close it may it and it may not even be like the closing of a chapter because it sounds like that those instances, that experience and everything, it's gonna be traveling with you. But what you, what is amazing is that you've taken the power back from it. Yeah. And that in itself is a true, true triumph that that deserves celebration. Thank you. So what What can you say to those who, because sadly in the world that we live in, way too many people have experienced things similar to what you have. What can you say? What can, what as, put yourself in the mind of that boy that saw right through you and what is it that you can say to them when they are at their lowest moment? What's, what's something very simple that you can say?
2: I would say recognize yourself in others. Understand that your darkest day may Mm. not even close, be close to the darkest day of somebody else.
1: Mm.
2: If you are going through a difficult time, if you're going through a hard time, just know that there's hope and there's help that is available Always. Mm -hmm. But not knowing what those options are is the same thing as not having options. Now, here in the U.S., they recently rolled out a service called 988. This can be an absolute life-saving option. Now, when you call 911, the police and the fire department show up, right? Mm -hmm. Some people don't trust the police. They don't want the police fanfare. They don't want to be handled by the police when they're having a mental health crisis. Mm Mm-hmm. 988 pairs up the callers with therapists and people with lived experience to talk to you and in some cases come out to you to help oh, you wow. through whatever it is that you're going through. If you don't trust the police, if you don't want to talk to the police, if you're afraid of the police there's still another option available to you, but not knowing that it exists, isn't going to help you look up and find out what it is that are the services that are going to be able to help you to get through the dark times, you or your loved one and find out ways of being able to support a survivor. In some cases, learning to educate yourself on how to help somebody else to get through the dark times can help you to understand your own dark times, what you've been through and how to be kinder to yourself.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And where can where can my listeners find you on find you out there if they need if they need that support, if they're looking to read your book, if they're looking to go to one of your speaking events, anything like that. Where where do you recommend they look?
1: All of
2: that stuff is available through my website growthfromdarkness.com. And that's the same name as my workbook series here that the first one here is about the stages of trauma. The second one will be coming out shortly. Mm -hmm. It's the trauma reactions and what the long-term consequences are of not dealing with them and how to fight back against them. Eventually Mm -hmm. I will include healthy boundaries and ways to support a survivor.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: All of this, my podcast, my email, my public speaking events, interviews, all of this stuff can be found at growthfromdarkness.com. And I would urge anybody who needs it to reach out to me. I'm very active on social media, specifically on Facebook. So if you go to facebook.com slash Amanda Blackwood survivor, I will absolutely talk to you on any one of my posts. If you need to send me a private message, I ask that people make sure that they do not include graphic recreations of what it is they've been through. I'm Mm -hmm. not a licensed therapist or counselor. I cannot help you with those things, but I can help you to get through to finding somebody who can.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Growth from darkness. That is really what this is all about. Looking into the darkness and then turning it around and saying that it will not have that power over you. Every day brings about its own challenges. And so Amanda is constantly facing those challenges and standing up to them and not only that, but a standing up for all of you. So if you need help by all means, please look, look up Amanda growth from com, and call 988 to get those, to, to get those resources that you need and do not be afraid to say that you need help because Just by saying I need help, that was that was the start of a whole glorious new chapter for Amanda that she continues to lead to this day. And I hope that you have a support system that truly wants to see you succeed. And so for Amanda Blackwood, this is George Saroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.